Thank you, choir. As we open God's Word, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, we ask for Your Spirit to move among us today. We pray for understanding. Uh, Lord, we just want to know You better. And we pray as we open Your Word that You would speak to our hearts and make us into the people You want us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was talking to uh, my wife the other day about field day. Does anybody remember field day? Kids, do y'all still do field day? Some? No? Yes? It's unfortunate if you don't. Well, I'll say that. We have mixed reviews. Not everybody has good memories of field day. Okay? They think about going out on the playground, running races. Some, that's just not, you know, like I know my wife, she's like, that's really not my cup of tea. I don't really care about doing all that. I look forward to field day. Field day was a big deal to me. And so when we would have the, field, the 40-yard dash, you know, all these different races, I was all about participating in field day. And I wanted one thing, the blue ribbon. You know, not the red ribbon, not the white ribbon. I wanted the blue ribbon. And I wanted as many as I could possibly get, right? That was the goal. Get the blue ribbon. Because only one person got the blue ribbon per race. It was, you know, the person that ran the fastest or did the best, was the greatest. You know, they were the champion of that race, right? They, they were in first place. And if you were in first place, you received the, the blue ribbon. And as I was looking through this passage in Colossians this week, I recognized that, you know, Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, he's basically telling them, Jesus is in first place, at least he should be in your life. You know, he alone deserves the blue ribbon, right? He's the champion. Yet there was some teaching that was began to seep into the church that was saying, you know, yes, Jesus uh, should be elevated, but also we should elevate other gods or angels and different things like this. And so this teaching was creeping in and Paul fires off this letter to the Colossians and he shares with them several truths about Jesus to remind them that he, in fact, is champion. He belongs in first place. So first of all, he tells them, you know, Jesus is not a co-champion. Some of you, maybe one, two, I don't know, many of you are Georgia Tech fans. Anybody? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'm not either. So uh, even though I do see some orange in the, uh, in the sanctuary, uh, Clemson fans maybe. But Georgia Tech, 1990, I, I had a, my best friend lived up the street, and he loved Georgia Tech. And that was the year Georgia Tech won the national, well, kind of. You know, they won the national championship. However, they were co-champions. You all remember this? 1990, football, NCAA football. Georgia Tech was co-champions with the Colorado Buffaloes. Because in one poll, the way they were voting then to figure out who's the champion, one poll, the AP poll, voted for the Buffaloes to be champion, while the coaches poll voted for Georgia Tech by just one vote. And because they didn't have a way to reconcile that, they had to have co-champions. That's why they tried to redo the whole bowl system in the ranking so we don't have that problem anymore because the idea of co-champions, how can you have co-champions, right? And that's Paul's point in the letter to the Colossians. You can't have co-champions. There's only one, and he's Christ. 
And this is how he says it. Colossians 1.15, if you want to look there with me. This is what he says. Speaking of Jesus, in Colossians 1.15, he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And this is very important, and I'll show you why. All throughout Scripture, we know God is invisible. He's spirit, right? He doesn't have a body. You can't see Him. He created all things. And so He Himself is not created. So He has no physical you know, body. He's invisible. He's spiritual. Alright? We know, from example, John chapter 1. This is what the Apostle John says in verse 18. Speaking of Jesus, he says... No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. So we know no one's seen God, but God has made Himself known through the person of Jesus Christ. Or if you turn to John 14, verse 8, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the icon of God. Now, some of you have computers. Some of you have smartphones. uh, So you're familiar with icons. You know, when you have your computer screen, you have the Microsoft Word icon, the you know, PowerPoint icon, or you have an app on your phone with an icon, has a picture of it to represent that. And so when you click on that icon, you get the program. All that the program is, you get it when you go to the icon. And so what Paul's saying is, all that God is, He's in Jesus. And so if you click on Jesus, so to speak, or if you go to Him, that's God. You get God. If you get Jesus... You get God. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the icon. And notice that he says, and this is where he's getting into the issue in Colossae. He's saying, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Not a God. He's not the image of a God. He is the image of the God. The only God. The one true living God. Jesus is the image of that God. And so there is no other God than the God that is visible in Christ. Therefore, He's the champion. He's in first place. He gets the blue ribbon, right? There's no co-championship. But our culture tends to like the idea of the co-championship, right? Having many champions. And this is one way our culture does this. And they say, well, you know, all religions, because as you may know, there are some folks in our culture that... uh, they would be fine if all religions disappeared off the face of the earth. But most people, most people think, you know, religion is a good thing. Whatever religion that may be. But what they try to do in our culture is to try to equate the religions. They, they try to say that all the religions of the world are equally valid or equally true. And Paul's saying, no, that, that's impossible because... Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No one else is. And so there's no other way to know God fully than than through Jesus. And so Paul doesn't give us an option to look anywhere else to find who God is than Jesus Christ. Jesus is God and He will share His glory with no one. 
There's no co-championship, according to the Apostle Paul. So Jesus is the champion. He deserves our worship. And, and what happens is, and this is why it was so dangerous for the Colossians, and it's dangerous for us as well. If we allow something to become a co-champion with Christ in our life, what we will do is we'll begin to worship it. We'll begin to live for it. And eventually what we'll do is we'll, we'll allow whatever it may be, whatever thing it is, could be our job, it could be another type of relationship, it could be our, our, our idea of success, or whatever it may be, whatever we're pursuing with our life. And what we can do with Jesus is just relativize Jesus. So what we do is we make something else absolute and we relativize Jesus. And so we only go to Jesus in order to get what we really want. Whatever that is. So we're pursuing something in life and if we hit a roadblock, we may go to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you really help me get what I really want? Whereas Paul's saying, no, Jesus needs to be first place because He's the image of the invisible God. He needs to be first place. He needs to be the only thing or the only one worshipped. In other words, He needs to be absolute and everything else in life needs to be relative to Him. So everything else we pursue needs to be in light of who He is and for His glory. And that's why Paul writes this to the Colossians to ensure that Christ must remain first. And so for us, we have to think about this. You know, is Christ absolute in our lives? You know, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom. He needs to be absolute, the primary focus. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that what I'm doing? I mean, is that, is that really the way my life is going? Am I concerned with knowing Christ first and everything else that I do, I do that in light of who Jesus is. So to Paul saying that we should keep Christ first, and I think that's what God wants for us as well in the Hill Baptist Church in Augusta, to keep Christ first. And another issue that the Colossians were dealing with, not only this idea of adding things that you ought to worship other than Jesus, angels, other gods, etc., uh, knowledge, um, they were also dealing with this idea that the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm was good. And the physical realm, that that you can touch, is evil. Later it would become, it would become known as Gnosticism. But this idea was floating around and it began to permeate the church and they were beginning to say, you know, the spiritual realm is good, the physical realm is evil. The soul is good. The body is evil. Salvation means being delivered from the body through faith in Jesus. And the body is like a prison. We need to get rid of it. And so what this led to is the idea that I can be saved. In other words, I can have a relationship with God. My soul is saved. And my body really doesn't matter what happens to that. Because that's matter. It's physical. It's evil. Well, Paul responds to this and says, no, uh, that, that's not the way it ought to be. And yet, at the same time, this kind of still creeps into the church, does it not? Now, we're going to look at a, some few verses here in a moment to tell you how Paul addressed this. But this idea still creeps into the church. For example, 
Have you ever heard someone that may be gifted in evangelism, meaning that they're really uh, effective in telling people about Christ and seeing people come to know Christ? We call that person sometimes, well, I don't really call them this, but other people may call them a soul winner. You all heard that phrase? A title? He's a soul winner. Well, you know, personally, I don't care for that phrase because I think God is more concerned with just the soul. I mean, just the spiritual side of us. I mean, he, I think Jesus came to save all of us. That's why He took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's why He was raised bodily from the grave. Because God cares about the whole person, not just the spirit or the soul. And so I hope as you share the gospel, you're not just a soul winner, but that you're seeking to save the whole person. (laughs) Soul and body. All that you are. How God made you. And so we can allow this, even this type of teaching to kind of creep into the church, even in our own language. The idea that spiritual is good, physical is bad. Another way this can creep into our culture, and even to our church, is that we can believe that the soul or my real self is most important. And the body is at best secondarily important or at worst disposable. In other words, I can do with my body whatever I want because Jesus saved my soul. So I can do whatever I want with my body. Or the culture may say, even without Jesus, you know, my real self is what really matters. My body is indispensable. In other words, I can do whatever I want with my body. It really doesn't matter. And so we can abuse our body in a number of ways and how we treat our body. Uh, sexually, we can use our body in several different ways that's not pleasing to the Lord. Because uh, we know God is meant to use our bodies in that way in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. But yet, we can look at it, you know, hey, it's my body. It doesn't really matter what I do with it, Right? Because what's really important is my real self, my soul. It's the same false teaching that was creeping into the church in the first century. That was threatening the Colossians. You know, we may even say, you know, my real self is all that matters. I can do whatever I want with my body. Because it's, it's indispensable. You know, it's, it's not the real me. Where Paul's saying, no, the body and the soul are very important. Both the visible and the, and the invisible are extremely important. And this is where he says it. Colossians 1, 15-17, he says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now listen to what he says about Jesus. The Son of God. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So I believe Paul is saying Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, meaning Jesus is the heir. He, is, he has the rights over the created world. And that's what I think Paul means when he says He's the firstborn. I don't believe Paul means He is the uh, first of creation, but rather that He is the firstborn. He has the rights of the firstborn. Just like um, I saw the royal family, you know, 
had their new baby. Uh, but unfortunately, she won't have the rights that the firstborn has. Right? The firstborn eventually will become king. Even though it doesn't mean as much now as it used to or in other countries. But the same idea applies here. It's the same principle. And that was the firstborn had rights over the kingdom. And that's what Paul's saying here. Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he is the heir of all things. He has the rights over the kingdom because through him all things were created. And not only were they created, but they were created for him. And notice that he says the visible things were created and the invisible. And I think Paul's saying this to to hammer home the point that God is concerned with all of creation. Not just your soul, but your body. And not just, just your body and your soul, but everything. Everything that He has made, He is concerned with. And not only did Jesus create both, the soul and the body, He is both. Right? He is both. He came and He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And then He was resurrected bodily he not only created both, He is both. And Paul goes so far, even so far as to write in 1 Corinthians 6, you can just jot this down, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body not just in your spirit or in your heart or in your soul or in your mind but in your body so according to these verses God cares just as much about your body as he does your soul that's why he says therefore glorify God with your body use your body as an instrument of goodness and treat your body well and not only your body but all of creation we should have a high respect for it and seek to treat it the way God would have us treat it. And so we see Jesus, uh, He's not a co-champion. He is the champion. Uh, that he, he created all things. He, he values both the material and the immaterial. And then lastly, we see He's the Redeemer in verses 18 through 20. Paul writes, And He is head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So Paul tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. You know, He created all things. And yet He's making a new creation called the church, and He's the head of that as well. He's the leader. He's the champion. He is the beginning. He's the first one from the dead. Now, He's not the first person to be raised from the dead. Right? We know Jesus, for example, raised Lazarus from the dead. However, Jesus' resurrection was unique in that it began something that is unstoppable. You know, this is where the, the church has a future and a hope based in the resurrection of Christ. Because of the resurrection of Christ, this, the kingdom of God is taking root and growing, and we have a, a hope and a future as we participate in that. And it's because of His resurrection that 
he is, a, like Paul says, he's preeminent, meaning he's first place. He has that, that blue ribbon, you know, we were talking about. He's, he's a champion, right? He should be worshipped and followed. Why? Look at verse 19. This is why. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why. Whatever is God, that's what you should follow. That's who you should follow. And Jesus, I mean, Paul says Jesus is the fullness of God. Therefore, he alone ought to be worshipped. And lastly, Paul tells us too that you know the blood of the blood of the cross of Christ reconciles creation to himself. Notice that he says in verse 20, God is reconciling all things to himself. This means that he's not just reconciling people to himself, but he's reconciling all creation to himself. Therefore, Paul can say in Romans 8 that the creation groans. It's longing for the coming of Christ when Christ will renew the creation. So we see that Jesus died surely for us and for our sin. I mean, absolutely, no doubt about it. But the scope of redemption goes beyond just saving you and saving me, but it's saving the world, the creation. And so all things will be renewed through Christ and people clearly will be renewed through Christ if we place our faith in Christ. And we have the opportunity to do that because of what Christ has done. And so you see the creation uh, longing for the renewal that Christ will bring about. And I wonder, is that what you long for? You know, are you longing, and this ties in to this whole idea is Christ first. Are you longing to be who God wants you to be? Is that what you long for? Are you longing for God? Are you longing for what He wants? What He wants you to be? One pastor said that all throughout the Bible, the New Testament never talks about God being reconciled to men. Never talks about God being reconciled to men, but always talks about men being reconciled to God. Because God's not the one in the wrong here, right? We are. And so we're the ones that need to be reset. We're the ones that need to be forgiven. We're the ones that need Christ. And so the question is, have you been reconciled to God? Have you ever experienced reconciliation in a relationship? Let me ask this. Have you ever experienced conflict before reconciliation in a relationship. I mean, I hate that, right? It's, it's just, it weighs on you. You can't get it out of your mind. It's a breakdown. It's painful. And then if you experience reconciliation, where the two parties come together and there's forgiveness and acceptance and love again, and you just feel like, oh... Finally, why didn't we do this sooner? And that's between us. Imagine what it's like between you and God. Carrying around the burden of your sin and then finally coming to Christ and saying, yes, I was, I was wrong. I need Christ. I need to be reconciled to God. And then casting that burden on Him 
and saying, yes, you know, I'm experiencing the forgiveness that comes through Christ. I experience His love. And now I experience His power to live and become who He wants me to be. God's not the one in need of reconciliation. We are. Yet God took the initiative through Christ to make that possible. And I wonder for you, have you been reconciled to God? You need to think about this. And I wonder too, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, you know, what... What is it that's keeping you from doing that? I'm just, I'm just wondering. And you may have reasons. But I know when I heard the gospel, at least when I was in 11th grade at this point in my life, when I heard the gospel, when I heard someone explain to me that God loves me, He sent His Son to die for me, that I'm a sinner in need of reconciliation to God, but yet God sent His Son for me, and that I need to place my faith in Christ... I mean, when I heard that, I thought, this just makes sense to me. I think this is true. I think this is right. Why would you not want to embrace Christ by faith? And so I wonder for you today, I mean, what, what's keeping you from coming to Christ if you haven't already? In Christ, He's the image of the invisible God. It's only through Christ you receive the forgiveness of God. And only through Christ will you be reconciled to God. Now, to, for those of you who have been reconciled to God through Christ, remember, Jesus is not a co-champion. He is not a co-champion. The throne is not a two-seater. Right? There's only one seat. It's not a two-seater. It's like King of the Mountain. There only can be one at the top. Who is it? Is it Christ? Is He first? And also remember, Jesus did not just die for your soul. He died for you. All that is you. Soul and body. All that is you, that's what Jesus died for. So glorify God with your body. Use your body. Use these hands, these feet, this mouth, your mind. All that you are, use it as an instrument of goodness. Paul says, instrument of righteousness. You know, what is right, what is good, what is true. Use it like God would want you to use it because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is where God resides in His Spirit. And He wants to use you and mold you and make you into the person He wants you to be. Now, before we sing our final hymn, I want to lead you in a time of prayer. And I do this every now and then, but I want to do it this morning. Um, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, you may be saying, well, Ron, how, how do you do that? And basically, what you need to do or what you can do is simply go to God in prayer. Tell God that you need Him. Ask God to forgive you in Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to say a prayer that is very similar to the prayer I prayed when I placed my faith in Christ. And it's not so much the prayer as it is your heart. What, what are you saying? Are you saying, God, I want you. I need you. I want Christ in my life. This prayer expresses that. And so what I want to do as we, as we pray together before we sing our final hymn, I want to say this prayer to the Lord. And if you've never asked Christ in your life, then I want to encourage you to, just to silently between you and the Lord, pray this prayer with me. So let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, I, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Now take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now if you prayed that prayer, I encourage you, even today, tell someone you did that. Tell someone that I chose to follow Christ. And as we sing this final hymn, I'll be at the front. If you'd like to come and share that with me in this church, you're welcome to do that. Or if you've maybe never been baptized and you say, you know, Ron, I've placed my faith in Christ, but I want to make it public. I want to identify with the church visibly. I encourage you to come and make that known as well. Or maybe you're just in need of prayer this morning. I'd love to pray with you as we stand and lift our voices to the Lord. So let's stand and sing together.